Uh, what a great thing to talk about. I'm so honored to be a part of this. Um, when we're aware that God is present and we talk with him about what we're doing, it actually changes us. We live real differently than when we don't do that. Example in the Bible, when Moses was a young man and he had not yet met God, one day he saw an Egyptian mistreating one of his own people. And the text says that Moses looked this way and that way, uh, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses looked this way, he looked that way. Which way did Moses not look? He didn't look up. Okay. He did not invite God into his situation, his problem. He didn't ask God, give me the knowledge of your will for my life, the power to carry it out. If he would have looked up, things would have turned out very different in this story. I promise you, even if there's someone at work who is very, very, very hard for you to get along with, if you pause and pray to God with a surrendered spirit, the thought that will come to you will not be kill them and bury their body in the sand. <laughs> Jesus himself was a person of regular prayer from those 40 days at the beginning of his ministry, as you might know, to a final night in prayer right before he died. And it's kind of interesting, when we pray, uh, usually we pray heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're at a church and somebody says, now let's pray, almost everybody does this immediately. That's not actually the usual posture for prayer in the Bible. A friend of mine said it was mostly invented by Victorian Sunday school teachers to make antsy little kids settle down. <laughs> when Jesus prayed for his friend Lazarus, we'll look at that a little bit more later on, we're told Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. In his last great prayer with his disciples, the text says, Jesus lifted his eyes toward heaven and prayed. So you could actually pray with your eyes open. Like that's not against the Bible, and it's a real good thing to do sometimes. I think Jesus often looked up physically when he prayed, because in prayer, we live again in the elevated vision of God's power and God's goodness, the with God life, and we have this choice over and over and over. I can live without God if I want to. I can look down at the size of my problems, the smallness of my adequacy, the uncertainty about tomorrow, the fear that's in my heart. Or I can look up at the size of our God, the greatness of his sufficiency, the promise that he holds tomorrow in his hands, his offer, fear not, fear not, fear not, because he's with me. But most of us are like Moses. We just forget to do the with God life. We forget to talk with God. So uh, start with a moment of mass confession just to level the playing field. If you ever experience any of these excuses in your mind as a reason to avoid prayer, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't have time to pray. Not yet. Hang on. Just <laughs> appreciate the confession. Just let everybody get a shot here. I don't have time. I don't know how. I tried before. I didn't get what I wanted. I'm not sure there is a God. I think there's a God, but I don't think he's involved in my little life. My mind wanders when I pray. If I try a formula, it feels contrived. If I just freestyle, it feels kind of confusing. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm too cynical. I'm too tired. I'm too sleepy. I'm afraid God would make me want to change things I don't want to change. Other people seem to hear from God, and I don't. If God already knows everything, my prayers wouldn't change anything anyhow. I did something bad last night, so I'm in spiritual timeout. I'm too extroverted. I'm too introverted. The dog ate my homework. Anybody have any of these excuses ever for just not going to pray? It's amazing how we can just rationalize prayerlessness. Something bad happens and we think, 
Why would this happen? Where is God? What kind of world is this? Does prayer ever make a difference? You could believe in the face of such suffering. But when something good happens to us, we think, man, I'm killing it. There's a folk singer named Pete Seeger, and he told a story I love, uh, especially given where we live, that captures it. He actually, he recorded a song years ago that's based on Jesus' statement, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open, ask and it will be given to you. And in between, he would put these little stories. This is a story he puts in between the uh, words of that song. Uh, Two brother maggots, little worms, were sitting on a shovel handle when a workman picked it up and walked off. One of the little maggots fell into a crack in the sidewalk. The other fell into a dead cat. The second one ate and ate and ate for three days until he could hold no more. And then he went to the sidewalk crack and called down to his brother to ask how he was doing. His brother said, I've been down here three days without anything to eat or drink. I'm nearly starved. But you, brother, are sleek and fat. To what do you attribute your success? Brains and personality, brother. (laughs) Ask anybody in Silicon Valley, to what do you attribute your success? Brains and personality, brother until we fall into the crack in the sidewalk, which we will. Because we were not meant to live on the power of brains and personality. We are meant to run on God. So there is this terrific invitation to prayer to talk with God, and it's in the New Testament. It's in the book of Hebrews. And I want to read a paragraph, but then I'll orient this talk really around the last sentence. The writer says, Therefore... Since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He's our friend. He is for us. That's all the setup. And now in light of that, here's the invitation. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And in the time that's left, I want to walk through this single verse as a guide to how to talk to God. Starting with, when should we talk to God? Now, based on this passage, we might divide all of our life up into two different kinds of moments, two different kinds of time. There is the time of need, and then there would be the time of not need. There are those moments when I need something from God versus those moments when we don't need anything from God at all. So here's the question, how often do I need help to live well? How often could you use a little wisdom or a little strength or a little perseverance, or a little love, or a little courage, or a little joy, or the ability to withstand temptation, or gratitude, or patience. How often am I in a situation when we had uh, two children, they were very small, Nancy and I were on an airplane one time, and I don't know if you've ever done a cross-country flight with little kids, but uh, we had taken over the whole back row of the plane because nobody wanted to sit near us, and it didn't look pretty, and it didn't smell pretty, dirty diapers, and bottles of milk, and cracker crumbs, and I was wondering why we brought these kids with us on this trip, why we had these kids in the first place, and somebody a few rows in front of us turned around and kind of surveyed the damage and asked, because I was just grumpy, I was just irritated, and he asked, are those your two kids? (laughs) And I thought about it for a minute, 
I said, yes, they are. And he said, my wife and I would give anything in the world to have two kids. And I said, oh, you don't have any kids? He said, no, we have five kids. We'd give anything in the world. So, like, how do we not mess up our kids' lives? How, how, do we, how do we deal with it when we have them? How do we deal with it if we don't have them and we wanted to have them? I think so often my problem is my circumstances, but really it's me in my circumstance. That's the issue. How many moments of my life do I need God? How many moments of my life are moments of need? And the answer is all of them are. That's when the writer says, let's come to him in our time of need so we can receive help in our time of need. A friend of mine named Gary uh, was facing a real difficult challenge at work. He leads a kind of ministry organization called International Justice Mission. Lots of challenges, fair amount of danger. And he would often feel quite strained or depleted. And he said one year going into the next year, he had this thought. It felt like God talking to him saying, I don't want another year of prayerless striving. Oh, man, that's a great description of the way that life without God goes, prayerless striving. So anybody can do this. I can choose to talk to God at any moment. I can choose a prayerful life. I can seek, try to seek, above all, the steady companionship of Jesus as my friend and savior and great high priest. I was thinking when we were singing that song just a moment ago, uh, you know, lyrics to songs can be really quite striking when you think about them. And something that a lot of us just sang is, with every breath that I am able, I will sing. The goodness of God. Do I really intend to do that? So uh, I can do that, or I can live in prayerless striving, constantly overwhelmed, burdened by outcomes, regretting the past, anxious about the future, in this series at Westgate, we're praying what is sometimes called the examine, the daily examine. And you might want to start the day with this. The scripture writer says, God's mercies are new every morning. You might not be a morning person. You may wake up grumpy and groggy and unsanctified. Maybe nobody wants to be around you until you've had your coffee. Maybe even Jesus doesn't want to be around you until you've had your coffee. So start with coffee. But then find a place for a few minutes where you won't be interrupted. If you have small children and they just won't be quiet early in the morning, you may want to move away from them for a couple of years. Um, <laughs> You may have to make other adjustments about when to pray, get up earlier, do it during nap time, get creative with it. But the idea of this is a pretty simple structure. As you might know, if you've been part of this series, I begin by inviting God into my prayer to help me because I need help even to pray because I'm just, my mind gets squirrely. And then I give thanks. I, usually when I get up in the morning, I will give thanks and think of three things and actually write them down that I'm grateful for, for yesterday. A lot of research that shows that makes a significant difference in our lives. And then I reflect, how did the previous day go? What is there to learn? Where did I mess up? And I confess that to God, ask him to forgive me. And then I look forward to the day that's to come and invite God to be into that day. So it's real simple. We pray in our time of need. And then this verse talks to us about how to pray. He says... This is beautiful imagery. We approach God's throne. So who's sitting on God's throne? Okay, this is not a trick question. Let's try it one more time. 
were to approach God's throne, take a wild guess here. Remember, you're in church. Who's sitting on God's throne? That would be God. But now see what this means, because this isn't just, you know, words. This means I don't start by thinking about my problems. I start by thinking about God's power. That's why he's on the throne. He is superintending the cosmos. God is able. That's where we start. He is able to deliver David from Goliath. He is able to deliver Daniel from the lion's den. He is able to give a child to 90-year-old Sarah. He is able to calm the storm. He is able to part the Dead Sea. He is able to walk on water. He is able to judge the nations. He is able to harden the heart of Pharaoh. He is able to soften the heart of Saul. He is able to do far more than all we can ask or imagine according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God is able. And Prayer is not just positive thinking. Prayer is not just whispering gentle wishes into the universe. We are approaching a throne, and there is somebody on the throne, and that someone is God, and God is able. So we look up. We approach the throne of God. Now, what does it mean exactly to approach the throne? Can we just try to understand what, what does this language involve in our ordinary lives? What does that look like? Well, basically, it's something that we do primarily with our minds. Posture can help, might help to lift up your eyes or to uh, get on your knees or so. But mostly to approach the throne simply means I focus my mind, my thoughts on the presence of God. He is with me right now. And part of what I want to do today is to get prayer out of the kind of vague, confusing category. So you might think about it like this. In human communication, there's generally three possibilities. Imagine for a moment that Jay and Mark were both up on the platform here with me. So I could turn and talk directly to Jay, or I could turn and talk to Mark, but be very aware that Jay is up here as well and he's hearing everything that I'm saying. And so my awareness of his presence will inform, shape my words, even if I'm addressing them to Mark. So I could talk to Jay, I could talk to Mark in Jay's presence, but Jay could go away, then I could talk to Mark in Jay's absence. Have you ever said anything about someone in their absence that you would not say in their presence? We've all had that experience. Now, here's the thing, when is God not present? Never. He's always around. God is always with us. But he allows us, just like Moses, look this way and that, but not up, to live as though he was not. I went to a Christian college, and this was an odd thing, but because it was a Christian college, when it was mealtime in the cafeteria, we would pray, but we would decide who was going to pray by playing something called the thumbs game. I don't recommend this, so don't anybody try doing this. But the idea was we would all get there and then everybody would do this. And whoever put their thumbs up last and lost the thumbs game, they were the one that had to pray. So they lost the game. To win the thumbs game meant you didn't have to pray. So they would lose the game. They would have to pray. We would all bow our head and close our eyes. And they would say, God, it's so good to talk to you. And I was thinking, what does God think when he's watching this? And it's the loser of the thumbs game <laughs> that has to pray. But then immediately they say, oh, it's so good to talk with you. Like, do we think God is not watching the thumbs game? 
Like it's a phone call and it's not until the call actually makes a connection, then God is aware. See, here's the thing about Jesus. Again, this is just kind of getting prayer out of the religious or mysterious category. When Jesus, for Jesus, when it came to God, he was so constantly aware of the presence of his father that number three, talk to this person in their absence, was simply not an option. That's why if you read through the New Testament sometimes, when Jesus, for example, is gonna heal, sometimes he speaks to his father and prays, sometimes he just directly talks to the person that he's gonna heal. In other words, for Jesus, the line between praying and just talking was so thin that it was basically erased. There just wasn't much of a difference. It's like, I'm talking to this guy, but I know this person is here. Um, sometimes it is so clear, it's almost a little bit funny. Uh, we read a moment ago about Jesus when Lazarus, when he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. You might know that story. He has people roll away the stone in front of Lazarus' tomb, and then he speaks. And here's what it says. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there. In other words, the goal of praying is not to pray a lot. The goal of praying is not to become a prayer warrior. The goal of praying is to eventually come to speak every word of my life in the conscious awareness of the presence and the care of God. Um, that's when we're living the with God life. And prayer and just talking have essentially merged. That's what it means to approach the throne. But now the throne has a name. It's not the throne of performance. It's not the throne of spiritual superiority. It's not the throne of brains and personality. It's not even the throne of spiritual giants. It is the throne of grace. It's a throne for misfits and mess-ups and the needy and the desperates and the addicts and the losers and the left behind. It's called a throne of grace. And not just that, we're to come to it in confidence. Again, this is staggering when you stop and think about it. Not in fear, not in anxiety, not in inadequacy, not in uncertainty, not in defeat. In confidence. And the reason for our confidence has nothing to do with us. We remember that we have a high priest named Jesus. So I remember when I have no business approaching this throne, separated from God through my sin and my guilt, which are great. Jesus has become my high priest, has offered his life a sacrifice on the cross so that I sinful man that I am, can boldly come into the presence of God to receive help. How good is that? And I want to challenge you on this one for a moment. I don't know how easily this comes for you. It doesn't for me. For a long time in my life, I found prayer hard, and I didn't find it very helpful. And one day I went back to look through old journals. I will often write stuff down in a journal. And I would often write my prayers. But I noticed when I went back to read through them, mostly they were just a recitation of my failures from the day before. 
Yesterday, I didn't do well as a dad, yelled at the kids, wasn't productive at work, didn't get much done. I was just reading through them, I felt really depressed. My prayers were depressing. And I sensed God say to me, John, I'm the master of the universe and creator of all that is, and your prayers are depressing me. I'm God, I don't like to be depressed. And it was as though God was saying, John, in the morning, you can fill your mind with your inadequacy, or you can fill your mind with my sufficiency. Your call. Prayer is not supposed to be depressing. And if I find now, obviously there's times when I've done something wrong and I need to confess, there's going to be some pain over that, or God convicts me or something, but that's not the general idea with prayer. Prayer is to be a vital outcome uh, connection with God. Prayer is coming to God's throne. He is able of grace, I'm forgiven, in confidence, Jesus is my high priest, to invite Jesus into my day. I look at the people that I will meet with, the challenges I will face, the problems I haven't solved, questions I haven't answered yet, and I ask God, God, would you give me the wisdom to know your will and the power to carry it out? And then I don't just talk, as Jay discussed last week, I also listen. Now, you may find it hard to believe in a God who speaks. Or you may believe that God could speak, but think that he would never do that with somebody like you. But the Bible is actually full of God, people God speaks to, and many of them are not very impressive. He spoke to Cain, and he was a murderer. He spoke to Moses, he was a fugitive. He spoke to Abraham, he was a liar. He spoke to David, and he was an adulterer. Spoke to Solomon, he was a polygamist. Spoke to Jonah, he was a runaway. Spoke to Lazarus, and he was dead. God spoke to a donkey whose name we don't even know. Why do you think God could not speak to you? And again, I want to talk about how this happens, because this can be kind of fuzzy for folks a lot. Like, how could God communicate with me? So, uh, a fellow named Dallas Willard, other folks have written about this. What does it mean to communicate with somebody? What does that mean? Well, communicating is simply another word for guiding another person's thoughts. That's all communicating is, is guiding thoughts. When someone is communicating with you, they are causing you to think certain thoughts that you would not otherwise think. There are thoughts going on in your head, so they're your thoughts, but somebody else is prompting them or guiding them. Now, because we are finite creatures, we have to use finite means to guide each other's thoughts. We make sounds. Because you are sitting here for this talk, you are having thoughts you would not otherwise be having, like, when will this be over? <laughs> or we write things down, make symbols on paper, and those guide people's thoughts. Because we are finite creatures, we have to use finite means. But God is infinite, and that means that God can guide your thoughts directly. He doesn't have to use sounds. He doesn't have to write stuff down. He has direct access to your mind. That's part of why it's so uh, significant that God is spirit. He can simply guide a thought in your mind without using any other means at all. This means it's possible God may be guiding a thought in my mind, but I don't realize it's God. And Jay talked last week about how that's what happened to little Samuel. And the old priest, Eli, was familiar with this, helped him with this. Sometimes called the ministry of Eli, helping another person recognize, I think this thought may come from God. Doesn't mean that I'll be uh, infallible on it. Doesn't mean that I'm real spiritually mature, but God can do this with you. 
And part of prayer and talking with God is learning to listen and saying, this thought may come from God. So I, I want to invite you to have a challenge in talking with God. And I'll tell you about one guy who did this. His name was Bob. A man named Doug Coe has a, uh, had a, Doug passed away a couple years ago, ministry in Washington, D.C., and mostly he worked with people in government and statecraft and so, but there was a guy named Bob, not particularly connected, not wealthy, he was in insurance, but he came to follow Jesus and he was meeting with Doug and he began to read what the Bible says about prayer and how there's a place where Jesus says, ask whatever you will in my name and I will give it, I will do it. And Bob said to Doug, is that really true? Does God really do that? And Doug said, you know, yeah, no, it's not a blank check. You have to put it in context of all the other scriptures, not a means to just get selfish desires fulfilled. But yeah, God loves to do that. And so Bob said, well, I ought to pray for something. And Doug said, all right, Bob, what do you want to pray for? Bob said, I think I'll pray for Africa. And Bob said, well, that's kind of big. Could you narrow it down a little bit? <laughs> and Bob said, all right, I think I'll pray for Uganda. And Doug asked him, have you ever been there? you know anybody there? No, I just want to pray for Uganda. So Doug, Doug Coe told me this story. Doug said, all right, I'll make you a deal, Bob. You pray for Uganda every day for 45 days. And if God does not clearly respond to your prayers, I will pay you $500. But if God does clearly respond, you pay me $500. <laughs> and if you don't pray every day, the deal's off. So Bob started praying, goes for about a month, nothing particular happens. And then he's at a dinner one night in Washington, a group of people around the table. And one of them is a woman who, as it turns out, lives in Uganda, works in Uganda at the largest kind of medical slash orphanage facility of its kind in the nation. And Bob has just been sitting there all this time. And all of a sudden, he roars to life, starts pounding her with questions. And she said, you're very interested in what I'm doing. You've been to Uganda? No. Well, you know people in Uganda? No. Why are you so interested? Well, this guy's kind of paying me $500. <laughs> and she ended up at the end of the dinner asking, would you like to come and see what I do and where I work? And he says, yeah. So, so Bob flies over to Uganda and tours this facility and is appalled by the suffering and the uh, poverty and he comes back, and because he's a new Christian, so he doesn't know you're not supposed to actually do stuff when you're praying, he starts writing like to big pharmaceutical corporations, saying, you throw away hundreds of thousands of dollars of medicine and stuff every year, and there's these little kids that are dying over there. You ought to send some to them. And some of them did. And this facility ends up getting more than a million dollars worth of medical supplies because of Bob. And so the woman that runs it tells him what's happened. She says, we want to have a big party. Would you come back so we can celebrate? And Bob says, sure. So he flies back over there. And again, because it's not a large country, this is the biggest facility of its type. Uh, the president comes to be a part of this celebration, offers to give Bob a tour of the Capitol. While they're doing that, they see a group of prisoners. Again, Doug Coe told me this story. Bob asks, why are those people in prison? And the president says, they're political prisoners. And Bob says, oh, that's a bad idea. You ought to let them go free. <laughs> Bob comes back home. Several weeks later, he gets a phone call from somebody at the U.S. State Department. Is this Bob? <laughs> yeah. Bob, you been to Uganda recently? Yeah? 
Did you meet with the president while you were there? Yeah, did you say anything about political prisoners, Bob? Yeah, what'd you say? I, I said he ought to let him out. State Department guy goes on to say that the US government had been working for the release of these political prisoners in Uganda for years to no avail, and they had just been informed that they have now been released, and in part it was because of Bob. <laughs> Later on, the president calls Bob back up, says, I'm gonna form a new cabinet, and I would like you to come over to Uganda and pray for me while I'm selecting a new cabinet. So Bob knows nobody, gets on a plane, flies back over there part of an amazing spiritual renewal at that time. Now, doesn't have to be dramatic, doesn't have to be, look like anything in particular, but I wanna offer you a challenge today on the with God life. I want you to pick some area of concern, something on your heart, could be part of the world, whatever it is, and pray every day for the next 45 days. Talk to God. And if God does not clearly respond to your prayer, Jay will pay you $500. He's not here today. He said, no, that's not going to happen. But, uh, but that's the challenge. You, you pick some area in the world, some area where it's not just kind of a selfish deal, but where you want to partner together. Just talk to God about it for 48 days. See what happens. See what happens. Let's pray right now. The team's going to come back out um, over time, so sorry about that, but let's pray. God, thanks so much that you are a God who wants to be with us and that cares about our lives and cares about our world and uh, is filled with love and goodness and power. And teach us now to approach your throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive help in our time of need. And we ask that together in the name of our friend Jesus. Amen.